0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The rain barrel effect. How a 6,000-year-old answer holds the secret to finally getting well, losing weight, and feeling alive again. It's Dr. Stephen Cabral's latest book, one of four he has authored or co authored, in addition to over 1,100 published articles in magazines like Men's and Women's Health. He's the founder of the Cabral Wellness Institute, as well as his highly regarded daily podcast, The Cabral Concept. In Dr. Cabral's online in Boston practice, they have completed over 250,000 client appointments where they use functional medicine lab testing and personalized wellness plans to help people rebalance their mind and body to recover from autoimmune thyroid, fatigue, hormone, weight gain, mood, skin, and dozens of other really hard to treat health conditions. Dr. Cabral is a patient himself having been diagnosed at 17 with a life-altering illness and given pretty much no hope for recovery. It was then he started on his own journey of healing, finding the root cause of chronic conditions and helping others live better and healthier lives. Joining me today from Boston, Dr. Cabral himself. Steven, it's so great to meet you. Thanks for connecting.
1: It's great to meet you as well, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: I'm really excited looking at the topics that you've got covered, the things that you talk about in your own podcast and through your books. I'm really quite fascinated. So it's nice to know that you're here and living a healthy life, because I think when I looked back at some of the research, at the age of 17, you really thought this wasn't actually going to be the life you were living.
1: Not at all. No, not at all. And, And even before that, I had a very... Uh, poor health uh, in childhood. And looking back on it, I mean, that is not a normal childhood. Being on antibiotics three, four, five times a year, getting your tonsils removed, your adenoids, having tubes put in your ears. I mean, that is not a a normal upbringing. But to be honest, we each have our own normal, right? And so that's all that I knew. And I thought that that is how kids were supposed to be brought up. And now that I have my own five and seven-year-old daughters, um, I can try to do better, I believe, by them. But now keep in mind, that was the best that my parents could do for me because it's what they knew. So I never try to judge anyone. And I certainly don't even judge the doctors that put me on all those uh, antibiotics. They were doing the best that they could do. I just think in 2019 now, 2020, uh, we can do so much better.
0: When you were a kid kind of going through these experiences and and never quite feeling good. I mean, I realized that this was your your normal. Did you crave to feel better? Did you feel like there was an ability for your body to be able to heal? Or you just kind of went with the flow? Also, you know, you got sick, your parents took you to the doctor, you got on a medicine, and we won't go into the fact that the medicines were probably (laughs) helping to kind of recreate uh, some of the stuff that was going on. But that even as a young child, the concept of wanting to feel better was there
1: no you know what that it really was my normal i think there's a lot of people kind of sleepwalking through life they're groggy they wake up they grab a pot of coffee uh they go through the movements they feel bloated they feel run down they have low energy low libido low endurance and they just kind of say well that's part of the aging process and that's but it's not true like that's the media version of what we've been fed to be true about our health is that well you know after 20 years old or so things start to go downhill by 40 you know you're going to start to get aches and pains And um, it is the dogma that's out there right now. And so I didn't believe that there was anything abnormal about this at all. Now, when I got very sick at 17, I said, this can't be right. This can't be normal. I can't live the rest of my life like this because uh, it was no life to live it. It certainly wasn't not, not anything that I would want to go through uh, the next 30, 40 or 60 years like that.
0: So, I mean, at 17, there's enough of an education to realize that there's research out there. There's a different type of a path. So what, what was that aha moment at 17 to be able to say, where am I going to look how am I going to, you know, move forward in a different way than I've been doing up until now?
1: Yeah, and I, and I agree. And, and that's why it's all about education. And it's really empowering people as much as we can, you know, with, par- with podcasts like this. It's just trying to get that out to people because we have to go back. This is the late 90s. And I'm growing up in Medford, Massachusetts. Uh, people had computers, but we didn't have one. There was, there was no real internet unless you had an AOL disk to put in the computer and wait 10 minutes for it to crank through different IP addresses, right? So like, I didn't really have access to information. So for two years, I went from MD to MD, specialist to specialist, and they looked at my blood work and they're like, yeah, it's a little off, but there's nothing that we can really see. And that was the problem. So for two years, I was just hoping and waiting for an answer. And then finally, we just, we got no answer. So we said, oh, okay, there's this thing now there's these alternative health doctors. Well, what's that all about? So I went to my first alternative health doctor. They immediately saw, essentially, what was wrong with my body, but they wanted to back it up with lab testing, which I love. So they showed me the data using a uh, thyroid adrenal hormone lab and some food sensitivity testing, and it was a start. It wasn't everything, but it was a start. And then, I'm, you know, I have this obsessive personality, uh, you know, and, and all I did was, okay, now I know that there's another way. And I went to my local library. It was like you know, a mile walk down the street. And I started to check out all these old dusty books. Um, and I read everything I could about the adrenals and the HPA axis and your immune system. So that was, my, that was my start. And then, of course, um, a few years later when I, when I got, the, got a computer and the Internet, and that was just kind of like like wildfire. But one thing I want to mention about that is that I was fortunate that there was no internet because now everybody reads a thousand word article and it's, that's okay. Now we know everything to do. Well, it's not the case. There are layers to things and they have to peel back the onion. So for me to read 300 page books and reading hundreds and then thousands, that gave me the education that I I could never get anywhere else.
0: Right. It's not like you just do the Google, you read the first two articles and then you're set to go and you're walking into the office going, I I think I need this and put me on this medication. I, I love the, I have a lot of naturopaths on the on the show uh, simply because I find that each come about it and they each come at this profession with a different background and a different desire to be able to educate people and know that there are different ways that the body can heal because essentially the body wants to heal itself and we don't always give it that opportunity. So going through medicine and, and following the naturopathic doctor route, what were you most excited about doing and studying and helping your patients with?
1: So... Ultimately, I spent 10 years trying to get well, which is a ridiculous amount of time. No one should have to go through that. But as I look back now, um, I'm very grateful for that. I really am. Because I never would have gone down so many different paths to try to see what worked and what didn't work. And what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for another to a certain degree. So, what I did was eventually I met. Uh, my mentor, Dr. Pete, when I was about 26 years old or so. And over the course of the next six months, I found the missing pieces. There's always a couple missing pieces. People are typically just a few labs or missing pieces away from getting well. That's really it. And then I was a sick kid all of a sudden. Yes, I was getting progressively get better, but I would always relapse. I would always relapse every couple months and I never knew why. Part of it was I was on 30 different supplements and I was on this and I was on that. So you never know kind of what's helping and then why it doesn't work. So she pulled it all together for me. She combined um, state-of-the-art functional medicine with Ayurvedic medicine and explained a bit about genetics as well. So when I learned that, I knew what I was predisposed to, but I knew that my genetics didn't necessarily mean I had to be sick. Then she ran lab tests, figured out exactly what was off in my system and combined that with my natural body type. That was an eye-opener. I mean, keep in mind, I'm, I'm, again, I, I only say this to show that I'm an obsessive personality, and I still didn't figure it out. Thousands of books, meeting with over 50 different practitioners, spending tens of thousands of dollars on uh, meeting with all these different practitioners, still was relapsing. Meet with her. She doesn't even charge me, which is completely insane because she's at the end of her practice. I mean, she's she's in her late sixties, almost seventy, and I reached out to her. I took a bus to Maine to go meet with her. You know, like I was all in, and just because she spoke to me. Like I just, I felt like whatever reason, like she was going to have the answer. I felt like that many times before, but she did it, and because of that, I took a, a path which I said, okay. I'm going to actually go study overseas. So, my internships were set up for me to study in Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, uh, functional medicine, bioregulatory medicine. And I studied in a bunch of different countries all over the world. And I was expecting to find that silver bullet. And what I realized was that every form of medicine holds the answer that someone is looking for. But not every person fits into every form of medicine all of the time, so now what I believe in is getting rid of the ego in medicine, and having a true, integrative based practice, and and that's where I'm at today.
0: I'm going to stop you there because I, I can't wait to I can't wait to move forward. But when you were talking about you know meeting with this doctor and and going through some of this testing. You know, you you mentioned those three things, right, was, you know, the genetics. And I I find epigenetics is fascinating in itself as to what our our bodies are holding from trauma of past generations. But when you talk about the aeroverdic medicine, I mean, at that point, I'm hoping I didn't lose my listeners kind of going, "Uh, there's a word I'm not quite familiar with and I've just checked out. What did you mean by that? So that they have an understanding as we move forward what you're referring to and why that's a, a different kind of outlook than what we're accustomed to
1: well and we have to be careful because this is a rabbit hole that you can never come back (laughs) out of right i
0: realize that yes
1: ayurvedic medicine is the oldest form of medicine in the world Um, it is the form of medicine that all other forms are based off of it's six thousand years old they actually had a form of plastic surgery back then Uh, all of the manuals are pretty well kept um and it is the most unique and the most uh misunderstood form of medicine in the world. And it has to do with Ayurveda stands for the science of life or the knowledge of life. There's eight branches of Ayurveda. Medicine is only one of those branches. Yoga would be another branch. And there's, there's philosophy. There's many different branches. It's an absolutely beautiful form of medicine. And much of which we discover today is just being rediscovered from what is in Ayurveda. So today, just for one example, we have body types. We have the ectomorph. We have the mesomorph and we have the endomorph. Okay, so that was like the 1950s thinking about somatotypes and psychology and how actually the your body type kind of determines your personality in a way and it de- determines your metabolism, all that. Not saying genetics aside, right? But so they already, they already knew that. Okay, they had, they so uh, wait, wait, wait.
0: So wait, are we talking about like when we see a picture of like an apple and a pear and a square? Kind of, are we referring like you know? Trying to not to dumb it down, but like when we talk about body types, right, we have this picture or we have this way of, of thinking of how bodies are created or how we carry our weight or how we carry our body.
1: Yes. And it also goes through the structure. So people with more of the Vata body type, if we just look at the head, it's going to be longer and slender. They're going to have a longer, more slender neck. They're going to have thinner joints. They're going to, when they eat carbohydrates, um, they don't gain weight. The endomorph, which has more of the circular head and a shorter neck and more of kind of a a robust build and, and bigger calves where the Vata has no calves. It's just straight legs. Now, could you do exercise things like that to help change them a little bit? A little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, No one, I'm saying, should be overweight or underweight. They should always be at their exact type. But we have to understand that there is actually a physical structure to the body. Um, The Vata body type would be more prone to osteoporosis and more catabolism and um, weakening of the immune system, where the endomorph would actually have a stronger, more robust immune system, but more prone to higher blood pressure and type 2 diabetes. So we know these things. They've been studied. A lot of people kind of want to not go with it or don't go with it. Um, But nonetheless, we all have predispositions. However, it does not mean that any one of us has to have any one of those things if we stay in balance for our unique body type.
0: How does one figure out what type of body they carry or their style uh, or have they, if they've gone through transformations where they've at, at one point been heavier or now thinner or were once thinner and have, can, can that body change? Does it morph at all or is it always pretty much what you've been born with?
1: No, it can. So we have the Prakriti, which is our actual genetics and our physical structure. So that means that you are born with your natural body type. What you do with it, and we know this in, in um, so conventional medicine as well. so always I mean, I combine what I believe is the best of the old and the best of the new. I didn't create either one. What I'm trying to do is integrate the two. So we know this too, because it's called your phenotype, and then or your genotype, excuse me. So your genotype is what you're born with. Ayurveda calls it the Prakriti. They just talked about it 6,000 years before. And then Ayurveda has the vakriti. And we call it now the phenotype. It's what you do with your body. So even a vata body type, which has thinner joints, thinner calves, longer neck, all like all those different things, they could become overweight. They they can. It's not easy for them, but they can absolutely do that. So that is now the Vakriti and they're more of that they've they've morphed into an unnatural state of their body. Now, the Kapha body type could become more emaciated. For example, I've worked with I work with many, many different clients. Um, some are 5'8", and they weigh 155 pounds, and they're in amazing, great great shape. Some are 5'8", and they weigh about 195 pounds, and for them, great shape. Like, they shouldn't get any leaner. They actually become too gaunt. They have a good waist-hip ratio. They have, they're have they just a more robust body type, and that's why we can't compare ourselves with anyone else. We just have to be the best version of us uh, and stay healthy and balanced. It's all about balance with the body.
0: How important it is for an individual for an individual to know what body type they are so that if they are looking to be able to lose weight, have more energy, uh, be more fulfilled in their mobility and their movement and their exercise, how important is it to know what their starting base point is?
1: I would say it's extremely important for multiple reasons. One is mindset and one is the actual physiology. So we know that our psychology, our mindset affects our physiology and we also know our physiology excuse me, affects our psychology. So if we're feeling down, if we're feeling bad about ourselves, it actually affects our immune system. It can affect our adrenaline levels, our cortisol levels and uh, how we go through the day and vice versa. So one of the things that we have right now is believing that um, everyone should be doing the keto diet because it's the best ever, or everyone should be doing a hard carb diet or everyone should be doing this or that. Well, it's actually gonna vary to a degree for each person. And then also, You feeling like you need to look like another person or that that's actually even physiologically possible is a bad thing we're setting people up for. So, you know, I I don't usually go through examples and I don't like to say like, oh, well, this and this and this. But most people are familiar with The Rock, right? So Dwayne Johnson. I could never look like Dwayne Johnson. Even if I did all the anabolic steroids in the world, I'm not going to look like him. He was born a mesomorph endomorph or a pitta vata or pitta kapha. I can't create that body. I've tried to, right? I tried to do that. I went from about 165 pounds or so to 200 pounds. I became... More sick because of it. Did I have much larger muscles? Yes, but it did not work with my body. My body was never meant to carry that much weight. His body does okay with it. He has a very large frame. Um, would he be even healthier if he was leaner? Yes, he would be. However, he wouldn't be the rock, right? So it's it always like, there's a little bit of give and take. But also at the same time, it would be difficult for him to get as lean as maybe someone like myself or someone else because we just have that type of body type. So what I try to preach to people is simply... Respect your uniqueness, be in the best shape that you can for you, and be happy that you're you. Because if you had a different body, you might also have a different set of immune cells and a different set of gut microbiome. And, you know, there's a lot that would change Mm -hmm. as well. So take all of the good and and all of the bad as well if you consider it bad.
0: Okay. I I love it. Is this, you know, when we look at, because you were talking about the 6,000-year-old secret, right? Is this a lot of the information that people can find in the rain barrel effect? I mean, I, I know we're going to go, we've taken down a rabbit hole, and I'm going to take us down a couple more of those rabbit holes. But when you're trying to educate people through through these books, what is the main messages that you're trying to get?
1: So I will one day write a book on Ayurvedic medicine and bring it to uh, current modern day times because there's if you start to go back and you really study Ayurvedic medicine, you're going to say, I have no idea what Rasanas are and rajas and all like, you're just not no. going to,
0: you've lost us. Unless right you there. really
1: want to. Right. Exactly. Right. So it's just way too deep. So what I want to do is bring it to a, a modern day time that we can really learn about it. And yes, there were some pieces in the rain barrel effect, but the rainbow effect is actually truly how to figure out how you got where you are today, how to get well, lose weight and then live longer, but a better quality of life on my podcast I don't know that I'll be able to find it right now, but maybe we can link it up. Of I, What I did was I actually matched up celebrity body types, and then you can kind of look at your body type to see which one you might match up best with. It's, it's not perfect, but it's much better than doing a quiz, because I'll tell you this. Every female that does a quiz typically puts herself in more of the Vata-based uh, category. Every male that does the quiz usually puts himself in the pitta-based category because we've been told that that's the ideal. And so very dangerous for to do a quiz on her own. Have someone else do the quiz for you, someone that knows you really well, and then those, those work better. And I can link up one of those as well.
0: Okay, I love that. I, well, I'm definitely gonna be sending people to the podcast and to the website because there's so much information there. And it was interesting because when I look at the amount of clients that have been through your system, and I know a lot of them are going online, but a lot of them are coming in, what, what are we referring to when we talk about a functional medicine lab? You know, right off the top, it's like there's the question right there. What can people expect? What are they looking to find?
1: Yeah, that's a great, that is a great question. And I often do take that for granted um, because when you live in it every day, right, you kind of forget like, oh, everybody doesn't know what functional medicine is. Well, functional medicine is looking at lab work beyond just your annual physical blood work. So let's say you go to your PCP and every year they do a wellness-based check. They look at your cholesterol and your triglycerides and your red blood cells and everything. And they typically say, okay, everything looked in range or you know, we're gonna have to keep an eye on this number. We'll just wait and see. Well, that's not what functional medicine is. Functional medicine doesn't care Necessarily, if you're out of range or in range, they look for optimal. Now, remember, it's the bottom two and a half percent and the top two and a half percent that's out of range. That's it. But what about if you're like one tenth of a point for being out of range? We should start working on that now before the dis ease state sets in. But what functional medicine does, they take it to the next level. And this is how I got well. You actually run different parameters within your body besides blood work so blood work will will think of it this way it's a homeostatic fluid which means that it will always stay balanced no matter what and if it's not balanced then something's really wrong that's what we call it a disease so if your body's running your blood's running low on calcium it'll actually break down your bones or muscle tissue if it has to to get calcium in the blood because it needs a certain amount and it will always do that now what the functional medicines labs are would be to check check for why you have bloating and gas, and acid reflux. Is it that you have candida overgrowth from all these antibiotics? Or is it that you have um, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? Or do you have H. pylori? Or we can look at parasites. We can also then begin to look at your hormones. Like, okay, your TSH is a 3.1. That's not optimal. Ideally, your TSH for your thyroid is between 0.5 and 2. But your doctor won't make a big deal about it until you get to five. So we begin to work on all the reasons why you have low thyroid, such as the low selenium, the low vitamin B6, uh, the low zinc, the low iodine, or higher levels of mercury, higher levels of cadmium. Like, do we ever test for those? So this is what functional medicine does. It figures out exactly what your deficiencies are and what your toxicities are. We remove the toxicities and we replace the deficiencies and the body begins to heal within 12 to 16 weeks.
0: Well, it's interesting because you've just listed off like parts of the periodic table that I can't really even remember, right? You were like listing off things. And and I think people aren't listening to these numbers or this, you know, you said three letters in a row, which I I didn't even grasp. It's it's that they're coming in with the, I don't feel well, I'm tired, I'm bloating, Uh, I have gas, Uh, you know. I, I can't seem to get myself out of this fog. So people are coming in with those words, those yes. symptoms, right? They're, they're not coming in saying, I think my vitamin B is at a certain level or I'm, exactly. you know. So are you able to correlate it? You can kind of tell immediately when someone's coming in with these exact same symptoms that, you know, where where you're looking and what likely is happening.
1: Absolutely, and that that simply comes with experience. But let's say you were to go to a local practitioner and they didn't have as much experience, if they still ran the labs, we we call it's the big five labs. I mean, if you're able to, you run these five labs, which looks at all your hormones, all your digestive function, all your your omega-3 to omega-6 inflammation, and your food sensitivities. Like it gives you everything, it's amazing. And if a practitioner ran that, they would then be able to get those data points as well. So what we can kind of do is just say, if you're not able to run the big five, okay, how can we pinpoint it for you? But we also do a hierarchy-based system. Like, if you have digestive issues, you have to fix that first. You really do. If not, you're always inflamed. And you're always going to be in a bad mood or not going to be a great mood because your gut Is connected to your brain. They call it the gut brain axis, the GBA, and they're intimately connected. So a lot of the anxiety and the overwhelm and the low mood or brain fog is contributed to by some type of inflammation in the 28 feet of digestive tract that you have. So um, we do start there. We run something called a starter kit, which is all your minerals and all your vitamin levels plus digestive function plus stress. It's a great place to start, you know, for people as Mm -hmm. well. So what we I also tell people this listen I don't know what my accountant does I give him a stack of papers and logins to my accounts and I'm like you know what just go to work I don't I don't know how to do this and I know at the end of the day he saves me a lot of money for taxes and when I people come to us or another practitioner they don't know how to do it. That's okay. We explain to them what's going on, what their levels are. And then here's the program of what to do. Like, So you don't need to become an expert. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have to, especially if it's not a passion of yours. Maybe you are a great accountant and you're not feeling well digestively and you just want to get well. So we do that.
0: You came back a lot to to gut health. And I think over the last couple of months and, and some of the guests that I've had on, it, it's really trying to let people in and really open up to the concept that whatever is happening in their gut is really affecting their overall health. And I think, do you find people are a little bit more educated these days or that they're understanding this concept or that they're starting to, to clue in that the two, the, the gut and the brain are really relevant and combined? And if they want to see any change, that's where it's going to start.
1: I do find that. The problem is there's all these snippets of information. So we're, we have to do a lot more than re-educating. So people sometimes believe um, you have digestive issues, just take a probiotic. And it's simply not the case. Like if you have SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and you take a probiotic, you're going to make things worse. You already have bacterial overgrowth. Adding more bacteria is not going to make it better. We actually want to create a removal process first for about four weeks, and then we'll begin to repopulate in a very systematic way. We'll add the small intestinal probiotics first, and then we'll add the colon-based bacteria second. So, and I know that that is probably still going over people's heads, but, you know, so the thing is, there's, but there's always a method to this. I wouldn't be able to just read about accounting, we'll say, and then, and then become an accountant. And that's what we have a lot today as well. Right.
0: But the thing is, is that they know something's wrong. I mean, you know something's wrong in the gut. You're, yes. Things just aren't working properly. But to be able to distinguish between if it's a large intestine or a, the small intestine or if it's overgrowth or if there's not enough bacteria, how are you able to distinguish that? What are the tests? You know, you're in Boston. You've got all this online stuff. But, like, what yes. happens to the, the rest of the world that's not kind of centralized where you are to get, get this done? Like, what are they asking for? What are they going to, yes. their, to their doctors and saying, this is what I want you looking for?
1: Yeah. And I'm happy to, I mean, that's, that is why, you know, I, I do the daily show people like, why do you do a daily show? It's simply because we can't, we're not going to be able to work with every person in the world. I mean, it's just no matter what I, I had a a wellness center. We were doing 12, 20,000 appointments a year. And the, I got people to approach me, we should franchise this, we should do all these different things. And I said, so we could do what? 60,000 appointments a year. Uh, What if I was able to go online And reach twenty thousand people a day so that was my goal that was my goal with the podcast and i feel like it's a greater good right i just feel like we're able to reach more people that way and i tell people and it's all listed on the website we none of these are our labs we we're not in the lab business we're in the helping people get results business so what we do is we read the labs we get them the labs because you have to have a doctor sign off on it and if you have digestive issues you're going to run three labs the organic acids test the stool test, a three-day stool test, and an IgG food sensitivity test. And you can work with a local integrative health practitioner. You can work with a functional medicine doctor that specializes in this. Um, and you can do that. Or you can do it with us at Equilibrium Nutrition. And you can order it in 19 countries around the world. So we still try to help people as much as we can. But the bottom line is um, you're going to be able to figure out what's wrong with you. I honestly believe that. And it's a matter of simply getting frustrated enough to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a lab.
0: You mentioned, sorry, because you mentioned stool and a couple of things in the same sentence. So that immediately got me thinking about these detoxes, right? And And, you know, thankfully, we didn't have the Google machine 20 years ago when you'd see people posting, you know, what happens when they do a certain type of a detox. And, you know, you've got these threads of things happening or you've got these juice cleanse. So many people are trying to get in on this, on these cleanses and kind of people have irritable bowels. So let's try to kind of move things through. What's your take on that and how how aware do people need to be on the fact that there's kind of like a hundred different kinds of cleanses that people are trying to push?
1: Yeah, that's, that's the, the beauty and the curse, I guess, of, of the, uh, the internet, right? So we can get information to people faster. Um, and it's, it's free, it's easy to get out there, but then we also have so much misinformation and we have, whenever something becomes popular, it then becomes a marketing based thing rather than an actual product. Right. So, a tea is not a detox. Juices are not detoxes. Intestinal cleanses are not detoxes. They, they have their time and place. I actually have no problem with those. So when I was over in India and Sri Lanka, we would use specific types of teas as a laxative if we needed to. We would use um, juices as a way of calming digestion so you wouldn't have to break down any food. And that's a great thing too. And then we would do intestinal cleanses if you're doing like a parasite cleanse or something like that to pull off of all that dead bacteria and parasites out of the body. All are great. But a detox should mimic or enhance how your liver works. So your liver actually has two different steps that it uses every second of every day. And it filters all of the blood in your body every six minutes. Your liver is this big organ located on the right side of your ribcage. And hopefully you'll never think about it for the rest of your life because if it's functioning well, you never think about it. But what happens today that's very different than even 100 years ago is we now have over 77,000 man-made chemicals in the body. so Or 77,000 man-made chemicals in the environments. The average woman right now is exposed to 126 potential cancer-causing chemicals before she leaves the house in the morning because the average product, such as a shampoo or conditioner, Contains about 12 different chemicals. So when we look at that, we are looking at the skin as a subdermal layer or dermal layer that's able to be porous and allows things right in the bloodstream. Well, we don't think about it, but our body has to detox those or we literally get sick. We can literally die from those things. Now, here's the thing. The good news is that our liver is always detoxing. The bad news is it was never meant to keep up with the onslaught that it's exposed to today, which is why a detox gives you, and I'm happy to go through this if you want, all the phase one and phase two nutrients to help it do its job better, and that's what a true functional medicine detox does. So
0: if you were to look at a liver from 100 years ago of a healthy male and a liver now of that same male 100 years later with the amount of products in our environment, how different would they look?
1: Well, it would certainly be more inflamed. That's one. And is this a reason why
0: we're seeing so much inflammation that people are always feeling like they've got inflammation everywhere?
1: It's one big reason because every time you put one of these, let's just say I live in Boston, right, in the city, right? right? And I love living in the city, but there are downsides. So I walk outside of my office later today as I walk home, and I love being able to walk, but I'm going to breathe in invisible things that I don't see. It's going to be brake dust from cars, it's going to be exhaust, it's going to be uh, fumes from the trains, it's going to be, you know, burning rubber, like all of those things. And my body, you don't, you don't get a free pass, those come in as essentially gases, and they still have to be broken down by the liver. So yes, it's one more reason that think of it as like, um, your body has to ramp up because of it. So immune cells have to get ramped up, the liver has to do more work. It's also one of the reasons why we're more fatigued, because our body's always having a, work against all these environmental-based triggers. Now, many of them we can, we can get rid of. Like, we can go to a, a nonprofit site like the Environmental Working Group, EWG.org, and we can look at their skin-based products, their laundry detergents, and we can get them cleaner-based products. And so I tell people, listen, you can't live every day of your life in worry. What you need to do is the best that you can and then enjoy life. That's it. And so that's how we go about it. But we also know that even in Ayurvedic times, they did a quarterly detox, And it's built into most religions as well through fasting. Now, we should be using that more today than ever. But we don't. We never talk about it. Can
0: I ask you about your thoughts on intermittent fasting and how you see this? Or are we coming back to each different body type is going to react differently to what it is that they need for their body type and and, and their makeup?
1: You've already figured me out, (laughs) yes. Uh, But I can always give general parameters. Okay. So the average person no matter who you are. But again, it's never 100 out of 100. It's usually 99 out of 100. You should be fasting overnight from approximately 6 at night to 6 in the morning or 7 at night to 7 in the morning. I can We can do a whole podcast just on this on why those times and all that. But basically, stop eating two to three hours before bed. Now, people will always come in with every contradiction about hypoglycemia and all. Yes, that you're the 1%. But again, that's an actual dis-ease in the body that you need to correct. And then in 12 to 16 weeks, then you can go back to doing that as well, like regular healthy people. So um, 12 hours overnight, that allows your body to essentially clean house. In 2016, the Nobel Prize in um, cancer-based research was actually done on what's called autophagy. And it is the body's ability to kill cancer cells and clean up its own system if you give it enough time without new stuff coming in mainly proteins and a lot of things like that um so for most people 12 hours to 14 hours maximum per day we have a lot of people going 16 hours per day it's not healthy for most people to fast until lunch i know that's controversial but the the clinical labs back it up meaning that unless you're starting your day relaxed and doing some hatha yoga or meditation or going for a walk your body's already going to spike glucose levels, and we see that. It's called cortisol awakening response, and it's called a spike in uh, glucocorticoids or cortisol. What happens is your body actually manufactures its own sugar. It breaks down stored liver glycogen, which is sugar, and puts it in your bloodstream to respond to stress. So either you start your day relaxed or you have a normal breakfast. You have a good, clean, healthy breakfast to fuel you you that isn't hard to break down and digest. Um, So again, having said that, I want to add a couple more caveats. I do recommend a one day a week 24 hour fast where you go from dinner let's say Sunday night to dinner Monday night which creates more autophagy more uh health in the body oh
0: I think people were really liking you I think I think my audience is going okay this guy's got on it. and as soon as you said the 24 hour fast they're like I'm out I'm out so
1: they're not ready for that yet and that's okay I wasn't ready for that either
0: okay because I think people are making adjustments but then you you kind of you start to go check 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 and then something in there scares you or it's like that's going to be too much effort, and then I I find sure. people then it, they start rolling backwards again. So and oh, I don't I don't want to scare people either, right? So this is this is not something that's going to change right away. Is do you recommend like start with you know moving the hour back or starting to move so that you can do the intermittent fasting a little bit and not scare yourself right away that at the end of the week you're then going to go into a 24 hour fast?
1: Oh, absolutely. And we're talking maybe you don't get there for two years. I mean, I wasn't even there because of my own health. I knew the practice as I still couldn't get there because of highs and lows in blood sugar. And I had such debilitating fatigue. I, I mean, some of the diagnosis that I was given was Addison's disease and type 2 diabetes and was called myalgic encephalitis, which is flu-like symptoms every day of your life. Um, I, I mean, it was, it was awful. I mean, I was depressed. I was anxious. I had OCD. I mean, body, my body and mind were a mess. I couldn't even do these things. So what could I do? I did what I could do, and I didn't let what I couldn't do hold me back from doing what I could. And then when I started to do a little bit better, I tried a little bit more. And that's all I want for people. I mean, people are going gung-ho into exercise programs. It's the same thing. Start with walking. Work up to 10,000 steps per day. And if your excuse is, well, I can't because of bone spurs in my feet, then hop on an upright bike. Do what you can do. And then you can move into some body weight exercises. And then you can move into some you know, good cardiovascular work. And then you can do some hit based training. Don't start with hit training. You'll get discouraged. You'll be too sore. Work up to it. And so it's the same thing for people, and it's the same thing with intermittent fasting. Um, if all you can do is not eat for an hour or two before bed and you're used to snacking right before bed, it is. A, I mean, that was a great suggestion. Mm-hmm. That is a great place to start. Have a glass of chamomile tea instead of your food before bed. Have a glass of ginger tea for digestion. All of those are amazing to do, and they don't count as, as eating before bed.
0: I hope you don't mind if I get a little personal, but I, I noticed at the, at the beginning, you did talk about being a father and having two young girls. And so when you now look at their upbringing, the products that they're having, their health, and and knowing what your childhood was like, how much emphasis do you put on getting certain things and certain behaviors into our children now so that we're actually... Kind of in the prevention mode as, as young kids, so that we're fighting, we're already starting to be preventative of certain diseases as in our youth.
1: Absolutely. But it, really, what I'm trying to do, and my oldest daughter is now just kind of at that, that cutoff point, and she has a very strong mind of her own, and she'll let me know all about it. And, uh, and some, that's why there's nature and there's also nurture. We're doing our best to nurture their nature, right? And so what I'm really working on is the subconscious mind more than anything else. I'm trying to impress upon them principles and philosophies so that no matter what they encounter in life, they'll understand that there are good and bad repercussions. So if they eat this food, I'm not always going to say no. And I'm going to ask them, or they're going to let me know, how do they feel after it? And my daughter, who loves cheese, okay, you, you want to try some cheese? Go ahead, try some cheese. And then she's like, oh, daddy, my stomach hurts. Because we're making them just self-aware. Not hypochondriacs, not worried about that because that's what I was, but simply body self-aware. When they have a headache or they have something wrong, they let us know. And we use things like magnesium rather than Tylenol. And so we're teaching them that they can reach for vitamins and minerals and herbs and also, when not to? They want that second helping of whatever. We ask them, "Do you think that that will be good for your belly?" And they kind of look down, and we—they know it's not the right decision, but they may do it anyways. And we let them make that decision, but they're learning along the way. So, um, I'm not perfect. My wife's not perfect, but we do our best.
0: Okay. When you talk about nurture versus nurture versus nature, if you can, what would your top three things be that you want to be able to implement into a child's diet or as a parent? Three things that you can incorporate now to be able to get them uh their systems maybe building up the right immune the right system to have a healthier life
1: yes so even in children um they can go 12 hours without eating so that oh come on they're gonna
0: be bored they're gonna be rummaging through the kitchen they're gonna be kind of starting the tantrum modes
1: (laughs) well (laughs) well, here's the thing but but think about it though they should be getting 10 hours of sleep a night right So now all we're really holding back is a little bit before bed. And that's all we try to do, to still get that. Now, we're not teaching that principle. But we're also, for dinner, giving them something with complex carbohydrates, good fats and protein, so that they're not immediately hungry within an hour after dinner. Um, So what we're trying to do, again, not perfect, is keep sugar and processed foods out of their diet as much as possible. If we're at a birthday party... Do I not let them have one specific thing? No, probably not. I'm probably going to let them have it. That's every once in a while. Now, if it's food dyes and all of that, then they're not having it, and they know why. They know that that's not good for their health. I'm not going to put any – I'm not going to allow my daughters in harm's way that something has food dye in it just because then they don't get to go along with the crowd.
0: Okay, why food dye? Why is that – you're pretty adamant about that. So this is going to apply not only for children but for all of us. What's the food dye factor?
1: So food dye, we think of it as as a cute number, a yellow five, a red three, a blue two. And we're like, oh, yeah, it just has this color in it. Well, that color is actually the same pigment they put in paint. It is paint. And we're putting that in our beverages or our food for no other reason than to make it a bright color for marketing reasons. When you look at a Gatorade or something like that and it's neon yellow, that color does not exist in nature. If you wanted to use a food coloring, you could use turmeric for yellow. You could use spirulina for a blue-green. You can use beets for a red. And we do those things, and we teach at the same time about where their food comes from and what they're eating. So we're educating, people are like, oh, I don't want to take the time. I understand, but eventually your kids become adults, and it's harder to change as an adult, and, and it takes one to know one. I still have those ingrained tastes of Fruity Pebbles and Little Debbie Snacks and Kool-Aid and all the things that I had when I was little, right? Come on, like a so piece of licorice.
0: Have... Like licorice, I thought, I, I hear, is like one of the worst culprits of the food dyes. Uh,
1: it, it, it could it... be, right? But you could get, I guess, a natural licorice, which kids wouldn't eat, right? Because it's bitter. It wouldn't have that uh, that f- that flavor to it. Um, and and that does, I don't want them to literally pervert their taste buds. So what we're trying to do is get as many good veggies and things like that. in. now Um, they just have to take a bite. They don't have to finish it if they they don't want to. We're not going to force it upon them because that also then sets up um, issues around food. But we need to you need your kids to taste certain foods at least six times is the minimum for them to even start to begin to say, okay, like this is what a normal food tastes like, because the more sweet they get, we're hardwired for sweet because it allows us. To Well, we expected there to be minerals along with it, with fruit and nature, but it would allow us during harvest time to put on some weight. And it would allow us then to go through a period of time where we might have less food. Um, So again, our bodies are always going to be hardwired to sugar. We have to be very careful uh, with that nowadays.
0: Oh gosh, there's like a so many things that I want to get to, and I'm already looking at the clock. Can I? Do you mind? I want to go back a little bit to when you were traveling in different parts of the world and seeing how medicine was viewed. How different are are we seeing things when you when you look at ancient medicine and practices and what we have created in North America? Like, how different has it really has it become?
1: Yeah, it, and it's so different. I mean, it really is. We have the best doctors in the world in the U.S. We really do in terms of um, if you just look at the overall population in hospitals, like the very best technology, some of the most brilliant minds are a mile down the street from me at Harvard, at MIT and Tufts and Boston University, not to mention all the other great um, universities as well. But, you know, and I'm not I'm not slating Canada as well. So what I'm saying, though, is that there are great MDs, but we have specialists and specialists look at if you go in with a digestive issue all we're talking about is the intestines we're not talking about how the sympathetic nervous system and stress begins to shut down digestion if you come in with low energy we're not talking about digestion we're just talking maybe about thyroid if we're talking about thyroid we're not talking about heavy metals it's so disconnected whereas when i'm overseas Mm -hmm. everything's connected and the other big point is this is that in the u.s and in Canada, and Australia. When I say U.S., I mean Western-based right. worlds. So what I'm talking about here is that we focus always on accumulation. What more do you need? Oh, you're tired? Here's some B12. Oh, maybe you need some CoQ10. In other forms of medicine, it's about removal first. It's about detoxification. In Ayurveda, they have something called Panchakarma, which is just like literally wringing the body out. I won't go into it today. Kind of like a again, towel? Like, Is that where you're well, if you think about it, like think of your body as a sponge ring out before you can take on more new. Hmm. When we do a digestive based protocol for all the bloating, we don't add probiotics right away. We remove first, get rid of the candida, the SIBO, the H pylori, the parasites, then repopulate. It works so much better. Better to start from a clean slate, dump out your cup before you can take on fresh water. And so that, I mean, that's what the rain barrel effect is. It's you've accumulated so much over your life, ring it out Get rid of some, make space, mind and body, and then you're it's, you're better able to take on more.
0: I think maybe just because I've become uh, much more aware and much more much more practicing a, of a meditation, and then understanding the chakras and understanding the body and how we are so aligned in our energies. And so when you talk about it's the overall, I, I like the reference, right? We so we're so specialized here now with you know. The medicine that we look at and to understand that the whole body is so connected is that people need to understand that every aspect of our body the energy the movement the flow is connected and when something's off it's 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 a break in the chain
1: without a doubt exactly that's exactly correct and when you pull on one part of the chain the whole chain feels it
0: we don't think we just we think it's just feeling it at that exact point but it's It's all connected.
1: That's the end point, right? That's the referred pain. So when someone has a, like, there's probably many people listening to this show with Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism, low thyroid. Well, I can tell you this. Your thyroid will go back to functioning perfectly normal if it's given the... Uh, iodine selenium zinc b6 all the nutrients it needs and you also get rid of the cadmium mercury aluminum heavy metals that might be affecting it or the gut-based permeability the leaky gut with the proteins and the gluten and the dairy that could be attaching to and then your immune system attacking your thyroid or it's a high level of sympathetic nervous system stress which when you raise your adrenal levels hpa axis dysfunction is called that actually begins to shut down the thyroid. So I know it was a lot and I said it fast. Well, it's four main ways that are very easy to check. And the reason why I said it like that is because there's always an answer to whatever ails you. I didn't know it for 10 years, but somebody knew it. I just took me 10 years to find that person, but there's always an answer. There is no uncurable disease out there. There There's, there's simply a lack of education or There can also be a lack of follow-through. There are many years where I didn't want to do what I was supposed to do because I had a victim mentality. I was upset. Why did this happen to me? It's not happening to any of my friends. And therefore, I just didn't do it. But it stuck with me until I decided that, okay, now's the time I have to do it.
0: That's I think for a lot of people, that's the toughest that first step that first leap that first step off of the cliff into kind of the unknown and trying to figure this out is is the toughest and and the hardest one, I think, for a lot of people to be able to make. You mentioned also, I mean, we were talking about this fitness lab, and then you started to talk about supplements and started to talk about products. How important was it? for you knowing that you had this reach and you had an audience that was now online and worldwide to be able to create certain products as well that you thought, okay, I've done enough research and we've done enough testing. We know enough people and what people are dealing with to put a product together. And how important was that?
1: Yeah. And it's, it's frustrating because I've been part of a lot of groups where, um, people are creating nutritional supplements just to sell them and make money. And the larger the markup, the better for them and, It doesn't matter people get results. I came from it from, one, being sick and know that um, nutritional supplements are only one part of my eight-part protocol, um, but they are important. They really are. When your digestive system is weak, when your body's stressed, you can eat the best food in the world, but it's very difficult to break it down and digest and absorb it. So we're big on supplements in the beginning, and then we have just a very minor maintenance-based protocol, no mega doses of anything. But again, in the world that we live in, it's nice to combat the world that we live in. So I was using all the best doctor-based brands like the Thorns and the Orthomolecular and the Pures and the Integrative. They're all still great. But we started doing such volume that they couldn't keep up with what we were doing because we're only one. I mean, I have a, keep in mind, before I was ever online, I was all, this is all in-person practice. I mean, people came to Boston from, well, mainly from Boston, but places all over the world. And then I started to do More virtual, and now it's essentially 100% virtual. Um, And what I wanted to do was take the products that I know and love, but add more to it. So never take away, but always add more. What did I learn from my studies overseas that I could also add to make this a more synergistic product? You'll almost never see us say, "Oh, just take this one B12." It's always always use the complex of all the B vitamins. They work better together. We don't try to do green medicine where you take this one thing for this. And we expect you to get better. I used to take just one, like I would take, Oh, okay, going to get B12 for energy. I'm picking on it. B12 is extremely important. So if you're using it, don't stop using it. I'm not saying that. Um, but what I'm saying is it works great when it's taken with B1, B2, B3, B6, you know, B12, like they're all great together. And, um, that's what we look to do. We look to create complementary products, but also we don't just give a supplement. We give a protocol. If you have sleep issues, here's a protocol to do not just melatonin. Nothing wrong with melatonin, but not just one thing. So, I think that's what we've been able to do is take a clinical practice and bring it online for people, which is a little bit different that's being done today.
0: Hmm. Can I ask what that protocol would be when you say not only are you going to get magnesium to sleep better, but what would that protocol then follow
1: through with? Well, I actually said melatonin, but you're correct. Magnesium's oh, going to be magnesium and well. then
0: melatonin. I give I yes. give my girls uh, you know, the 1, M- one milligram. yeah. One milligram, tough nights. It's like, <laughs> would you and, like and some so melatonin? Yeah. Right?
1: So like on a, on a tough night, it's not every night would you need the melatonin, but um, then you could use a, a liquid form that's easy in and out of the system, easy to process, um, and it could work great. So when will I use it? Well, time change. I fly to the West Coast. I fly to the East Coast. I need to reset my sleep schedule for a couple days, and then it works great. So um, the sleep – so when you talk about a protocol – you always want to think about there is more than one action for why you're in the state that you're in. So let's say you can't sleep. We're looking at three main actions. One, not enough melatonin production. Number two, two higher levels of cortisol. So cortisol is too high, which won't allow melatonin to fall, um, or the sympathetic nervous system is really ramped up. That means your fight or flight's ramped up. When would you, what would you use for that? Magnesium. What would you use if your cortisol levels were too high? You would use something called ashwagandha or phospholosurine clinically proven, to lower cortisol levels naturally. Melatonin would ramp up your melatonin levels naturally. Not a mega dose, but a nice dose, somewhere between usually two and five milligrams. We usually use between one and three milligrams because we go on the more conservative dose. And the last part would then finally be, okay, if you're not producing enough neurotransmitters like serotonin, then you can't actually calm the body and mind to get into that deeper, more relaxed state. So what we do, though, is always work top level. Most people may not need the precursors to serotonin yet because in how the body works is if you get enough of the precursors, such as melatonin, it will end up being able to make and recycle into serotonin during the day. So we try to give the whole protocol where people don't need to figure it out for themselves, work on the nervous system, work on cortisol, work on melatonin, and you get all of it combined in one.
0: Hmm, I like it, and because you did that so quickly, I'm going to bring up the other thing that I had. I want to get to was the low libido. We got we got sleep, so just get the libido up too, and maybe you're going to sleep better after that. But what would you be your, your give me a couple of things for the for the low libido?
1: So we always look at why low libido. You know, because there's always a reason why, and a lot of times it goes back to are you stuck in that fight or flight state? Because if you are, you're in more of a survival state, more worried about you're you're anxious you're overwhelmed, um, you're irritable, and probably the last thing that on your mind is having sex, right? Like it's just probably not when you're in fight or flight because your body's shifting over to, I need to get out of this very stressful situation. So that's one. The second, though, is also lower levels of thyroid, lower levels of iron, lower levels of B vitamins, just to make sure that you actually are producing enough oxygen and blood flow and the anti-stress in the body. So we go back to what's wrong with the body because um, having a low libido is not normal, but there's not a specific fix for it. So what we do is we look at the underlying root causes. Just like there's no reason specifically for inflammation. It could come from any number of things. It's nonspecific. So what we need to do is we need to understand inflammation is not a disease, but the thing that creates inflammation is the underlying root cause gut-based injury um i mean it could be anything the toxins and we look at those things then we correct those and lo and behold these diseases of the body and I'll, I'll basically say is i don't believe in disease how we believe in disease disease is a name given to a collection of symptoms if you have hashimoto's you have immune cells attacking your thyroid well why are immune cells so ramped up attacking your thyroid wasn't happening when you were six years old why now at 36 There's a reason why. Same with rheumatoid arthritis. Why do you have migraines? Were you born with migraines? If not, there's most likely a reason why. Is it histamine issues? Is it leaky gut? Is it gut-based permeability? Is it food sensitivities? like, what is it? Because there's a reason why. We'll figure it out. So what I do is I say, okay, I don't want you to be a victim of the name that you were given because I was given lots of names as well. Addison's and myalgic encephalomyelitis and type 2 diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis. Well, I don't have any of those today. So how is that possible? How did I go from disease to no diseases? Because those diseases themselves were based on underlying root causes that I then corrected where then the disease couldn't live in my body anymore.
0: I love that explanation you just just it cannot live in your body anymore you've taken you've taken control and you've given the body what it needed to heal itself I think it, it's brilliant and I hope people kind of listen to this and say listen you know I've been they they hear the diagnosis right they hear the ailment and then they go with that and to understand it's it's about getting to that root cause I think it, it's it's brilliant. You're able to share some of this information a lot. So what happens on your daily podcast? Like what little tidbits of information are you offering people and what will people get from just subscribing or talking to or listening to the information that you have?
1: And I always do think that that just like we were talking about earlier, it's the best place to start. Start with free information. Don't let it overwhelm you and understand that no one podcast is going to have the answer to anything and no one book is. But if you begin to accumulate that knowledge, you can start to look at it from different angles and you could say, okay all of these people are basically saying the same thing, but in different ways, there must be something to this. And then you can start to say, okay, I'm going to run the lab or I'm going to begin the protocol or whatever you feel the next best step is for you, is you should do that. So my podcast is 25 minutes every day based on, mindset, wellness, weight loss, exercise, toxins. And then I do, I answer people's questions on the weekend. So that's kind of like our house calls. And, and then over time, you'll know the right answer. You will. It will kind of gnaw at you every day and be like, all right, I have to do this. And then you'll do it and, and it'll feel right. And you know what? You won't be perfect. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to encounter obstacles. You're most likely relapse. And what you do is you learn from that. You get right back on and realize that it's one more tweak away from you getting mm-hmm. it right. And there you have it. And then you can be the living example for someone else in your family, your co-workers, your sphere of friends, so that they then begin to do it too. It's the only way that people are going to be able to heal. You're not going to heal in a five-minute appointment with your PCP once a year. They can't help you. They would love to help you. They have no time to work with you on these things, and they're also not educated in it.
0: The, the information is amazing. I, I can't believe you're doing 25 minutes a day in addition with the practice. That's amazing to have 25 minutes and 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 take people's questions every day to be able to do that and then to be able to. It's like a house calls. It's like it's it's brilliant and congratulations on the success of what you've been able to build in Boston and with this online community and with the podcast as well. So uh, once again, people can find you where. Best place, My main your website? website
1: is um, stephencabral.com, uh The podcast you'll just stephencabral.com forward slash podcasts. And then for all the labs and the protocols, again, don't start there. Get the information first. That's all at equilibriumnutrition.com.
0: Okay, so there's there's different places and different that that checklist that you were talking about, right? Is 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 understanding what it is and, and where you're going in, so you can ask the, and and go in informed to the doctors to say this is what I would like to see done, uh, and these are the examples. So I really Sorry. appreciate the time. This is really good. I'm really trying to stay within the hour because I'm realizing <laughs> <laughs> your hours are really kind of dictated. So I really appreciate the time, uh, and thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it, and we'll have all the links. People can find all the information to be able to follow up and to be able to take the information daily. daily, a daily dose of you uh, for those that are looking to be able to see it. So thank you so, so much.
1: I appreciate you for having me on and uh, thank you for all the hard work that you're doing as well. So thank
0: you. I'm loving it. Thanks.